All right. If you have your Bibles this morning, uh, and if you don't, we do have Bibles on the back table uh, that you can use. Um, and if you don't have one, feel free to take one home with you. Uh, last week, we looked at, in the book of Luke, and we looked at Jesus telling the parable of the Good Samaritan, um, answering the question of the lawyer, talking about what must I do for eternal life. And we looked at the law, we looked at what it says and the commandments, and so uh, Jesus answers that to him, uh, gives the parable to understand who is my neighbor, uh, what does that mean in your word when uh, the law is uh, compounded to two things, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and then the second, love your neighbor as yourself. So the lawyer said, seeking to justify himself, wanted to know what that is. Jesus gives him the parable about the Samaritan man, and we talked about how they were at odds, how they would have been enemies, and how Jesus is using this to speak about the heart issue, about what is in the lawyer's heart, revealing to him that he doesn't understand the Word of God. And so this morning we're going to look uh, at an earlier passage in Luke. We're in Luke chapter 4, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn into Luke chapter 4. But we're specifically going to talk about this week the Word of God about what it is, why it is so important to our lives, why it matters uh, as a Christian, uh, what it does for us, why is it still relevant. Um, we're going to try to answer some of these questions because if you were to ask the world, they would tell you that it is just an old book, it's archaic, uh, it's dead, it doesn't matter anymore. Uh, it had some good stories, maybe had some good principles. Jesus was a good moral teacher, but it doesn't really hold any weight for us today. The world has advanced. The world is different than it was back then, and we have moved past needing the scriptures. And there are many people in this world that believe that, uh, that are blinded by Satan, that continue to believe that word, the word of God holds no sway in their life, even uh, this weekend, uh, talking with uh, a friend of mine, my wife and I went to a, uh, a little picnic on Saturday afternoon with uh, guys I used to play ping pong with all the time, uh, competitively, table tennis, it's a fun sport. Uh, but we were even talking there, and uh, one of the guys was giving marriage advice to another woman and talking about odd things, and then I was talking with a, a guy about his son, he's into theoretical physics. And talking about that, and it turned into, well, well, some people don't believe in the Big Bang or different things. So then we, I, well, God's, no, I don't believe in the Big Bang. So we started talking about that and God's Word. Um, and he thinks, well, if we try to understand God or if we, we, we say anything about God, we're limiting God. And that's not the truth. The truth is God has already given us his Word that allows us to know who he is specifically. It's what he has left for us, so that we can understand who He is, we can understand what He has done, that we can understand what He desires from us, uh, and it is gives life. Um, and uh, my friend continues to believe that that is not the case, uh, and he can hold that opinion. Um, but I am fully convinced of the power of Scripture and the power of prayer, and that it does change lives. And to those that are perishing, it says the word is foolishness. The Bible tells us that to those that are perishing, the word of God is foolishness. It means nothing. Uh, but that's those that have 
life to those that have been opened by the Scriptures, by the Holy Spirit, by the work of Christ. We understand the words given and contained in the Scriptures as life. Some of the things that the Word tells us about itself. In Hebrews 4, chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, it says this, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Sharper than any two-edged sword. And any weapon that anybody can wield to inflict damage or to do anything to even protect oneself. The Word of God is sharper and stronger and better than any of that. And it says that when we are under the Word of God, it opens us up. It reveals the intentions of our hearts. When we come under the authority of Scripture, we are brought to reckon with ourselves. Am I going to follow what I want to do or am I going to follow what the Word of God says? And it opens up the true intentions of our heart, much like Jesus in interacting with the Pharisees and the lawyers and the scribes. He gets to use the Word of God and He opens them up. It reveals the intentions of their hearts. The lawyer last week didn't believe, wouldn't have believed that a Samaritan would have been his neighbor, but according to the parable and story, he said, well, one who showed mercy, he was the one who was the neighbor. And he is brought to understand more of the depth of Scripture as Jesus opens up for him. Elsewhere in Scriptures it says this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All Scripture, even even those mundane things that we don't like to read or we like to skip or even as we're reading that and we can't pronounce half the names in the book and wondering why would you name your child this? We don't have any weird names like that today, right? Why would you name your child this? As you're reading that, all of those hold importance. All right? Especially if you were a Jew and reading this and understanding the history behind it and the importance of knowing which tribe you came from different things, it was very important. It tells us something. It actually, it, all the records contain, show us that the promises that were given to Abraham of making your, uh, your family, your sons, as numerous as the stars in the sky, we see that as all these names are listed, that there would be one who would come from the line of David, who we know as Christ, as Jesus. He came, we can trace that back through all of those weird names to know that the promises of God that he had given in the beginning have come true thousands of years later. What he says is important, that it is breathed out by God. It's profitable for us to teach one another, for us to gain understanding. It's profitable for reproof that when we are out of the promises or out of the will of God or doing that which he says is sinful, it's profitable for reproof. We can say, this is what the word of the Lord says. Are you doing this? And we measure ourselves up to that. And if we are not, then we need to come to grips of getting on our knees and asking for forgiveness from our Heavenly Father. It's profitable for correction. It's profitable for training in righteousness and becoming more like Christ. The word of God is very important to us. 
Last week I had mentioned a, a verse talking about the word of God is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. That comes from Psalm 119, 105. When you think about that, as you think about how we have light here, even thinking about the, the solar eclipse and the people of totality and darkness, um, if you were to even get you know those uh, pads you put on your face, if you want to sleep at night, you don't want you don't like any light, or you're sleeping on an airplane during the day, and you put those on, and you think about without the word of God, that is how people are walking around in pitch black, as if they don't know what they're doing. They're just stumbling about in this life, not knowing. What is around the next corner or if something is coming at them? They are completely oblivious to that. They're ignorant because they don't know any better. But talking about the, the word of God, that it is a light, that it gives us light to how we should walk and how we should do, it's removing those blinders and having the ability to see clearly and to know which way to take, which way is safe, which way is not. Same thing. Are we going to follow our own path and walk in darkness or are we going to follow the the light given by Scripture and walk in the promises of God. The Word of God is necessary for us in our lives because of our sin. As we said, there is that choice. Follow God or follow self. In Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 7, verse 20, it says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. You think about the, the most perfect person you may know, they're like, oh, they'd never do anything wrong. They, they would never sin. And they would be the first to tell you, you, if you knew me honestly, if you knew in, in the heart of hearts, even in my own mind, some of the things that go through my mind, you wouldn't say those things about me. But that is a natural condition of man. The natural condition of man is that we are sinful, that we desire self above all else. And the only way that we are able to do anything other is to have the, the love of Christ in us. That we can show compassion. That we can understand who our neighbor is and treat others like we would like to be treated. Can we do that without knowing Christ to a certain extent, but without having the love of Christ, we truly can't understand what love is. We only have a small inkling of love and we miss the full picture what it is to love, but Christ showed it perfectly in his life. Proverbs 20, verse 9, Who can say, I have made my heart pure? I am clean from sin. Who can say, I have done those things? I have done it. I have made my heart pure. I am clean from sin. And the answer is no one. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need the Word of God because it shows us our sin. It shows us who we are. It opens us up. And so if we are not in the Word of God, if we are not reading the Word of God, if we are not gaining understanding about the Word of God, who are we really living for? The answer is self. The reason why I was thinking about these things, and I, I, I was able to preach this message at camp at PNBC a few weeks ago, and it worked well with talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it's something I desired to bring to this church because I was listening to a radio program. And I enjoy uh, listening to Christian music. I listen to Family Life Network all the time when I'm at work. And in the middle of the day, they always have sermons that come on. They have the news, and they have a half-hour sermon, another half-hour sermon. 
and I get to hear the Word of God while I'm at work. It's a good thing, because when I'm at work, I'm not always happy. Then, if any of you go to work, you're not always happy. Some days you have bad days. Um, so it's good to hear the, the Word of God and uh, listening to it and thinking about what the, the guy was talking about, uh, one of the preachers. I believe it was Dave McDonald that was preaching this one. He was talking about the Word of God, and he was talking about sin in our lives and temptations that come. And one of the things that he said stuck in my mind uh, as I was listening to this, and it's like, hmm, he's exactly right. And he, and he, he said this in his sermon, talking about sin, talking about temptations in our lives. He said this, he said, our great sin is not the temptation that we struggle with. As you think about your life and all the things that are going on and the things that you may struggle with, uh, whether it's finances, with, whether it's like the lawyer being kind to others, whether it's you know having hate in our heart for others, or you were uh, something happened to you, whether uh, it was from a sibling or family or even a friend or some stranger, and just threw you off. Some people have really bad things that have happened to them in their lives that they just can't let go of. The temptations that rise in us, whether to be vile or mean, whether it is to just disregard people, whether it's like the lawyer not wanting to help other people, uh, or the Pharisees just piling on all these rules and regulations of man that no one can follow. He said, our great sin is not the temptation that we struggle with. Our great sin rests in the lack of time that we spend in the Word of God. Our great sin is the lack of time we spend in the Word of God. Why is that so important? Why, why did that resonate with me? It's because I struggle with things in my life. Sometimes I work in construction. You hit your hand with a hammer. It hurts. Bad. Um, and there's things that run through your mind. Bad things that run through your mind. We've all been there. Um, and I need I need redemption just like anybody else. I sin just like anybody else. Thinking about those things or other things we struggle with. Uh, if any of you have driven a car and you've driven any of these streets and you've gone on any of the highways with construction and people that you call idiots that don't know how to drive and, and all these things, you get frustrated, honk your horn. What is going on? Doesn't anybody know anything? You get angry, you get upset. Whatever the, the sins in your life, the temptations are, the things we struggle with, the thing is, Scripture talks about how we overcome those things, how we become more like Christ, how we can have the same mindset that He has. And the problem is we don't know it because we're not reading it, that we're not in it. And so I thought about that, and the same is true of me. You get busy. I love the Word of God. I love reading the Word of God, but sometimes you just get busy, and what goes first? Spending time with the Lord. You have a million things going on. I have two small kids. The house is always a mess. I'm trying to get a house done so we can move in, which is a three-year project going on four. My wife is not happy about that. A lot of things going on, and what I need most is to be in the Scripture so I can lead my family well, so I can have the right mindset, so I can do these things, and yet I find myself not being in it as often as I should. And even though I come on Sunday morning, and I come on Wednesday night, and I go to men's group, and I listen to Christian music, and I listen to sermons on the radio, at work, and I do all these other things, none of that really compares to actually being in the Word itself. 
obviously sitting under the instruction of the word here and on Wednesday nights is, is different than every other day. But the scripture tells us that this life, this Christian life, is not just about making a declaration. Yes, I will follow after you. Yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I will bow my knee to you and call you Lord and Savior and you're done and you don't have to worry about anything else. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says when we do come under the authority of Scripture, when we place ourselves under the authority of Christ, our life is changed. We are made a new creature. We are different on the inside. And he gives us these desires that we want to learn more about him. We want to pray to him. We want to do these things. And yet we still wrestle, as, as Paul said, with the old self the old sins that come up, and we find ourselves drifting away. And it was a clarion call, and this morning it was a clarion call, come back to the Word of God. Come back to the source of strength in our lives. Come back to knowing what it says, how it impacts our life, and how even on the worst of days, we can still praise Him. We can still know that He is God, that He is in control. So our great sin is not the temptations that we struggle with. Our great sin rests in the lack of time spent in the Word of God. And the importance of that is knowing what it says. And as we look at Luke 4, as we look at the temptation of Christ, as we look at how he is being tempted by the Satan in these three instances, we will see that he places such an importance on the Word of God how that affects our life as well and why we need to place as much of an importance on it as well. So if you would look at me at Luke chapter 4 starting in verse 1 it says in Jesus full of the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. Jesus has just been baptized. He's just Come into his ministry. John the Baptist has baptized him. The heavens opened up. The audible voice of God was heard. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. The dove descended upon him. Signifying the Holy Spirit. And it's telling us he's full of the Holy Spirit now. He's just returned from the Jordan from being baptized. And it says he's being led by the Spirit out into the wilderness. For 40 days. It speaks about the wilderness journey of the Israelites. If you recall that the Israelites spent 40 years in the wilderness because they disobeyed God. It was a time of testing. It was a time of God seeing what was in their hearts. Deuteronomy 8 tells us that. It says, The whole commandment that I command you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply Go in and possess the land that the Lord your God swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness. And here's the reason. That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna when you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you to know. Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So the, the Lord has been led into the wilderness for 40 days. This is a time of testing to see what is in his heart, led by the Spirit 
And he's being tempted by the devil. And the three instances that, of tempting that we're going to see, those weren't the only temptings that he had while he was there for 40 days. But this is what has been recorded for us. It was a continual tempting by the devil. And it says he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Would you be hungry after 40 days of not eating? I can't even go one meal sometimes without eating. It's 40 days of, of fasting, much like Moses fasted for 40 days uh, to pray for the Israelites that God would be kind to them because they were disobedient. Jesus has fasted for 40 days, and he's coming out of it, and he's very hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, that's an interesting statement. If you are the Son of God, if if you are who you say you are, are you really the Son of God? Are you really putting yourself on the same level as He is? If you are, questioning it, kind of like a taunt at the playground. Well, if you're so good, why don't you do this? I'm sure Pastor has a story to tell about daring. As he comes back, you might hear about what happened on his trip to El Salvador. Some already know the story, uh, but ask him a, a, about uh, a taunt or a dare. That he had while he was in El Salvador. But it's like being on the playground and the kid taunts you. Yeah, if you're so good, why don't you do this? Show me. Show me that you have the ability to do this. The devil's taunting him. If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. You have to say you are the Son of God. It was just said, This is my Son and who I am well pleased. Many people heard. He's been fasting for 40 days. He hasn't had any food. He's terribly hungry. And so the devil comes at him on this basis. Provision and hunger. And Jesus' reply to him is this. And Jesus answered him, it is written. Much What is exactly on the front? It is written. Going back to the word of God. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone going back to this passage in Deuteronomy, going back to the testing of the Israelites in the wilderness. Man does not live by bread alone. God's instruction to the Israelites then was to know what is in their heart. What do they understand? They were quarreling, grumbling. Moses, why did you bring us out from the Egyptian? We had food there. God was testing them. In this test of Jesus, in this temptation by the devil, he rightly knows what Scripture says. He rightly knows what it means to apply to his life. Could he have turned the stone into bread? Yes. And this morning, uh, awake, the kids sing some songs, and Scripture talks about you know, if my people who will not glorify my name, these rocks will cry out. And so they're singing, ain't no rock, ain't no bird, ain't no tree going to cry in my place, going to glorify God in my place. He certainly could have turned the stone into bread. It says, man does not live by bread alone. He lives by the word of God. And so Satan being defeated there turns and and tries to attack him in a different way. Tries to entice him in another way. So if you look at verse 5. It says, And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me. 
and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. See, the devil is so full of himself, so um, blinded by his own pride, by his own uh, thoughts and understanding to think that <laughs> I reign here. This is my kingdom. I may have been tossed out of heaven and God may rule heaven, but right now, this is my territory. And all of that you see, everything here, I control. People in it, you see all of the things going on, that's my work. That's my doing. I own all of this. It says, to you I will give this authority and their glory, but you must do this. You must, you must bow down and worship me. That's all I'm asking, Jesus. You see all of this before you. It can all be yours if you would but worship me. Jesus' response, again, those three words, it is written. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. We looked at the Ten Commandments last week in the first four, dealing with God, how we treat God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any carven images. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You shall honor the Sabbath and keep it holy, just as... God rested. You too shall rest. The Lord says, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. See, the devil is so blinded by his own pride that he honestly believes that he owns all of it, that it's not some temporary thing, but that it is going to be his forever. And he tries to entice others who are of this world to believe that thought, that to live in the earth, to live is the here and now. Don't worry about what is to go on later. Don't worry about what happens after death, or even next week, or next month, or how it's going to affect families or friends. You worry about yourself, and you worry about today. Scripture talks about his temporary abilities, his temporary reign. In 1 John 5.19 it says, We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. There is that understanding. Yes, currently, right now, power lies with the evil one. But it's only power that has been given by God, that God has said, you may have this. Just like if you remember the story of Job and his tempting, Satan couldn't do anything without first going before God and saying, Hey, can I do this? Hey, can I do this? And as you read, read, read that story or read that story, you may think about how God said, yes, you can do that. But he asked, you know, well, well, let me take it. No, I will put restrictions on you. You can only go this far. You can only do this much for right now. He only has temporary power. Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2 says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Paul talking to the Ephesians, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Saying, formerly you were, you were among them, but you were called out. But there are many people that still live in that, that live under the power of Satan, uh, under the evil one, that are still blinded to the truth. That do not know the word of God, that have not hidden it in their heart, that do not know that and do not claim that Christ is their Savior and Lord. The Israelites many times were disobedient over the course of their life. They didn't understand this principle 
of worshiping God alone. Jesus did. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God. He is the ultimate example of how this is brought out. The Israelites were taught the same exact thing. They have the words of God. They have the scriptures. They have the laws that were given. They know the Ten Commandments that we looked at in Exodus and in Deuteronomy. They know about the stone tablets and, and the history. And, and time and time again, what would have happened? They would forsake God. They would go after all these other gods. They would intermarry with other people, much like we talked about the Samaritans. The reason why part of the, the, the tension that was between them was because they would intermarry with the Assyrians, and then they would follow after their gods, and they would forsake Christ. They would forsake the one true God. They didn't understand this and weren't able to live it out in their lives, but Christ does. You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Rightly understanding Scripture, Satan, you only have temporary holding. You cannot give me this that you claim you that you can give. I know that you cannot. My Father is the one that owns all of this. Only Him shall I serve. Only Him will I look to. So Satan goes away. For a time he comes back. In verse 9, he's defeated again. He cannot entice Jesus away by saying, you can have everything that you have seen with riches, with posture, position. So maybe I can do it this way. He didn't want to do the small display before me of turning the stone into bread. But what about this? Let's, let's try this. So he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And said to him, if you are the Son of God, again, tempting him, again, bringing into question his deity, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. Now get this, Satan's taking a play out of Jesus' book. He says, for it is written. You want to do these other things, but okay, let's, let's bring, it, bring it here. It is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. See, it's not as if Satan doesn't know what Scripture says. He does. Scripture tells us that. If you believe in the Scriptures, good. Even, even Satan does. He knows what it says, but he's still blinded by the truth. He still doesn't understand. He doesn't have the understanding. He doesn't have the wisdom to know the truth that is contained within it. He is still blinded. He believes so much in himself that he cannot bow his knee to know that God is the one who is in control. No, he will continue to blindly believe, I have control. And he will take as many as he can. Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12 is where he gets this verse. It says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. He pulls it right out of Scripture. It is written. Yes, it is. It is certainly written. But what is the application of that? What he is trying to get Jesus to do is, the temple is, is the pinnacle. It's at the top. It's a very high place. And so, at the, the pinnacle of the temple, if he were to jump, it's roughly 300 feet or so. And below there would be people gathered and, and people would be able to witness this mighty miracle of God. This man leaps. Obviously they're thinking, oh, he will die if he does so. 
leaps and he would get to the ground and, oh, the angels would come and they would make sure his foot would not strike the ground. What a sight to behold that would have been to be the people. And then they would say, praise God. Look at what he has done. Obviously, Jesus is who he says he is. That was not the purpose for with for which Jesus came. It wasn't to come in power as a king to say, look at how powerful and mighty I am. Bow down and worship me. I can jump from this cliff and be fine. But Jesus' response to him, it says, and he answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. It's not about having the ability. It's not about knowing scripture and thinking, Yes, it does say that. Yes, let me try that out. Let me see if what it says is actually true. Let's, let's jump. I will show you, Satan. I will show you who I am. It says, no, I will not put God to the test. Because speak, uh, Scripture speaks to itself. It doesn't contradict itself. It's not this, this thing that we can just take for granted and think it says one thing here, it says another thing here, and they don't mesh. No, it is one thread running from the, the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation that runs through it, and that's the line of Christ. That is the life of Christ. That is what he has been here for, that even from the foundations of the earth, before any of it was created, before we were created, God knew everything that was going to take place, knew that we would forsake him, knew that he was going to have to send his son, and he created anyways. Wow, that's awesome. Created anyways, so that... He can send his son so that he can redeem us. He can buy us back. That we can have a relationship with him. And know. And Jesus knows the scriptures from beginning to end. He knows the laws that are contained within. He knows the history of Israel. He is a Jew. He has been versed in these things. He even, as a kid, was spending time in the temple and opening up the scriptures for people that have been studying it for their entire lives. And they were amazed at him even at a young age that he would understand these things. He had a, a knowledge that nobody else had concerning them. Being both man and God. So his response is always scripture. It is written. It is written. It is said. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Referring back to the Israelites. Referring back to the time of the wilderness, referring back to the time where Moses is leading the people and they have come out of the other side of the Jordan out, uh, away from the Egyptians and uh, the Egyptians got swallowed up and they're going to this place filled with milk and honey. Oh God, I set this place apart, but then they decide, mm, those are really big people, I don't want to go over there. So God punishes them, and they're going to wander around for 40 years. And during that time, what tends to happen when you're just wandering in the wilderness? You, you kind of get hungry, right? You get tired. You get, you get thirsty, right? And so they begin to, to test Moses. They begin to test God. Um, so if we're going to look at this quick. If you would turn back to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. 
Jesus, Jesus' response to Satan was, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy 6.16 tells us, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. And this is the testing that happened at Massah, starting in verse 1. All the congregation, in Exodus chapter 17, verse 1, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandments of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? For the people thirsted for water. The people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? They are completely disregarding what God has just has done for them. Thinking to themselves, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Why would you do that? At least in Egypt we had food, we had water, we were okay, yet, you know, everybody was miserable because we were slaves, and nobody liked it, and everybody was crying out to the God, save us God, save us God, and when God saves them and brings them out, now they're saying, curse you God, we're hungry and thirsty, what are you doing? Jump down to verse 7. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? That's how discouraged they were. That's how unhappy they were about their situations to test the Lord. Is he even here? Is he even among us? God didn't, Christ in, in the temptation in Luke 4 didn't have to ask that question. Is the Lord really among me? Well, let me put it to the test. I'll test what his word says. I'm going to jump. No. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Believe in his word and know that it is true. And know that he is taking care of me and all that I have. I do not need to prove myself to you, Satan. I know who I am. I know who the Lord is. I know what he has done. And I will follow him. And I will keep his word in my heart. And I will rightly discern the truth. Not twist it, not turn it so that it benefits me, as many people do in today's day and age, where they read the scriptures and they think, this is what it says, it will justify my actions, much like the Pharisees and the scribes, as we looked at the passage in Mark 7, where it says, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts, they're far from me. They think they know the truth, but they twist the word of God to meet their own selfish desires. But Jesus rightly understands the word of God, rightly knows what it says. So what are we to take from this, from, from Luke 4? What are we to think of these things? Well, one, it shows us that the temptation of Satan, that the temptations that we have, the way in which Jesus dealt with them was to know the word of God, was to know what it says, was to know that when the time of testing came, when the time of temptation came, I will... Read back the words of God. I will use them to push Satan away to know that he cannot stand against them. Because of Jesus' example, it means that we too can live like he did. We can live a life not of perfection, 
but a life of gradually becoming more like him, of dealing with the things in our life that as we read scripture, as we think, this is, this is an area of my life, Lord, that I need help. This is an area of my life that I'm struggling with, Lord. What does your word say about it? Go and read it, study it, understand it. Ask for the Spirit to speak the truth into you. Look at some of the other sources that, that talk about it. Get together with other people from the congregation as we do on Wednesdays and, and look at it together and see what it says. And let it speak into your life. See, Jesus is our great high priest. He struggled just as we did. Hebrews 4 tells us that. That since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect had been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because of what Jesus did for us, those of us who believe in him can live like him, to know that he knows the struggles that we go through. He knows the temptations that we deal with. We can come to him and find grace, find strength. Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has opened up our eyes he has transferred, transformed. No, I was right. Transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The things that we struggle with, the things that we think are most important, really aren't as important as we think they are. Our struggle is not with one another. Our struggle is not against each other. Our real struggle is against ourselves and against the enemy. Ephesians 6 tells us, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That is, that is what we are wrestling against. That is what we are coming against. Even when we have confrontations with other people, some who do not know Christ, you're rubbing up against that. Somebody who is still blinded, who believes these things, who does not know the truth. But when we know the truth, when we know the Word of God, it opens up our eyes to see and how to view that person. Much like the parable of the Good Samaritan opening up the eyes of the lawyers and those who are hearing, this is your neighbor. Jesus responds, go and do likewise. Live these things out. Don't just hear these words that I am saying this morning to you but live them out in your life. In the beginning we talked about the Word of God, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. In Ephesians 6, it tells us about wrestling with, as we just read, these spiritual forces and what we have to guard against ourselves. And our main weapon, our main area of one to protect ourselves, but also to go on the attack, is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. How do you do battle? You do battle by reading this. Much as we just read Jesus, how did he do battle? He knew the words of God. He knew how it, what it said. He knew how it applied to him. It knew how to give light to his life to know, okay, this is the path I should walk. Could I do these things that Satan asked me? Could I turn this stone into bread? Yes. Could I have bowed my knee? Well, no, he couldn't have, but 
If he wasn't perfect, yes, he could have. Could he have jumped off and be saved? Yes, he could have. But then he wouldn't be our Savior. He wouldn't have come for the purpose that he had came to do, which was to live the perfect life on our behalf so that we can know who he is, that by his blood our sins are forgiven, that he was the ultimate sacrifice. I will end with this in James chapter 1. Verses 19 to 25. If you want to turn there, go ahead and turn there. We'll end with this reading. James chapter 1. James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. The implanted word, the word of God, which is able to save your souls. Put away all of these other things. Know this, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. So you're getting ready in the morning and you're thinking, ah, I look pretty good. You walk away. Who am I again? What is going on? It's exactly what he's saying. If, if you know the word of God, yet you're not putting it into action in your life, you are just like that. You're like a man who looks in the mirror. Praise off. Going out. Walks away. What's going on? He forgets what he was like. Forgets what he looked like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer, being hearer, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. It's not enough to, to come and sit and listen and be under the instruction of the Word of God, as I said in the beginning. It's not just about coming out, bending the knee once, saying, yes, I believe these things having a mental assent to, I agree with all of these things that you're saying, that Jesus came, that he lived the perfect life, that he died for me in my place, that his blood covers my sins, that he rose from the grave on the third day, and he has life, and he gives that life to me because I have said he is my Lord and Savior, and then just goes and does whatever he desires. James is saying that is person who is deceiving himself, person who has truly been changed, there will be that outworking in their lives that they will take the things of God, they will take the scriptures, they will understand it because the Holy Spirit is living in them and instructing them and giving them knowledge and is giving light to their path so that they can walk on the straight and narrow and not go to the way that leads to destruction that is wide. 
because of that, because of living it out in your life, not perfectly, but continually walking in that faith. James is saying, those are the ones that will be blessed. Those are the ones who you have seen the fruit. Paul tells us, yes, it is by faith alone that you're saved. It's not by what we do. I don't want that to be confused. We don't do these things thinking they have saved me. Because like we read in Proverbs, who can say I have made my heart pure? I have made myself clean. None of us can say that. But because the blood has washed over us, has cleansed us from our sins, he has made us a new creation, he has put new desires in us, it has changed our lives, it has changed our mindset. When we have the right perspective, when we have God's perspective in our life, it changes the way we interact with everybody else. Changed life. Seeing those fruits. Be not just hearers of the word of God, but be doers also. Just as Jesus was. We fight temptation. We fight the sin in our lives. We become more like Christ by being more in his word, by living it out, by continuing to be in prayer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you. God, I pray that if there is any here that does not know you this morning, that you would place it on their hearts for them to cry out to you. Not because they are so good, not because we are so good, but because you are. Because of your sacrifice. And to know that the things that come next are not because of their own strength or their own will or their own might, but it's because you have given them new life. You have made them a new creature. You have given them your spirit and that spirit works on our hearts as we read your word to know what is true to live it out in our lives and continually takes us to task with the question am i following myself or am i following god pray that we would be asking those questions am i following myself am i following my desires or am i following christ Be with us as we leave this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.